today we are wrapping up our series that we've been in Hebrews chapter 11 for the past five weeks. This is our sixth week in the series. In just one chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and we've entitled this series, Seeing the Invisible. Seeing the Invisible. And today's message, which hopefully by the end of the message will become clear, that seeing the invisible is really the way of the future. And I'll be sharing about why and uh, as we come to a conclusion, the message on that today, but we're in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, so often we really don't think about how much in the universe that is real, but we can't see it. Things that are invisible to our eyes, but we know are real. And one of those things is, well, it is the human cell right? Do you realize that your body, and go ahead and put up that image of the human cell, that we are told that there are 100 trillion cells in your body. 100 trillion. How many of those have you ever seen, right? Like seeing the cell. Like we see like the makeup of the cells when they're all put together, but this is like a hundred trillion cells standing in front of you, and that there are billions of new cells that are being replicated every single day in your body, billions of them, and you never see it happening. They are invisible. Now, a hundred trillion sounds like a really big number, right? I mean, it's like, wow, that's such a big number, a hundred Trillion, are you kidding me? But that's really not that big of a number. Because inside of every single one of those cells, okay, a hundred trillion of them in your body, in every single cell, they estimate that it is made up of a hundred trillion atoms. I mean, the, the sheer numbers just kind of like explode our brains. And I want to show you how many, how many atoms there, they say, then would be in our bodies. It is 10 quadrillion atoms just within your body. 10 quadrillion, that's one followed by 16 different zeros. And that's just within your body. And you know what? You ain't seen one of them. They are invisible, but we know they're real. How do we know they're real? Because, man, scientists, they're so smart and they figure this stuff out. And they have the assistance of what's called like an electron microscope. And when they look through these electron microscopes, they can actually begin to see some of that atomic reality. See, what it is, is the, the microscope, that electron microscope is a lens that allows them to see what it otherwise would be completely invisible to us, right? Very, very few cells can be seen with the human eye, but no atoms can be seen with the human eye. They are invisible to us, but we know they're real because of the assistance of this lens called an electron microscope. Make sense so far? They help us to see what would be invisible to us with the naked eye. However, there are things that are invisible to us 
that are maybe even more important to our lives in other ways than even cells and atoms. Things that are invisible to us, things like love. You can't see it with your eye. Things like hope. Things like purpose and knowing that there is purpose in my life. I can't see that with my eyes. How about God himself? We we don't see him with our eyes and the lens of a microscope will never assist us in seeing God, hope, love, purpose. But you know what? There is a different kind of a lens. It's not the lens of a microscope. It is the lens of faith that we look through that actually those things that have been invisible to us all of a sudden become visible. That we can, oh, I I never saw that before, but now I am seeing into the invisible and it's because of faith. Faith gives us the eyes to see what had been invisible to us even just moments before. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11 where we're finishing up that is we've read through Hebrews 11 nine times in this one chapter that is known for being the faith chapter, okay? Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Talks all about our faith. Nine times in this one chapter it uses the language of vision. Nine times. I hope you tracked those as you followed along with us, but it was in verse one where actually it started out by saying, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And then the, through the stories and the, the ideas that come out um, through the chapter, just amplifies that over and over again. Nine different times we're told that. Faith is seeing the invisible. That's what faith is, friends. It is seeing the invisible. And today we're going to go even just a little deeper as we wrap up this series and we look at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. And what we're going to see is three things that are told in the end of Hebrews chapter 11. First, there are stories of victory. Say, yay, victory. Then there's the stories of suffering. And at the very end, in the final verses, we actually find that there is a reason for suffering in our world and in our lives, even in the lives of people of faith. But let's start with the victories. How about that? Stories of victory. And the author of Hebrews is now picking up in verse 29, and this is what the author of Hebrews tells us. Oh, listen to all these stories of victory. We're just going to read through it real quick. Listen to this. By faith. Everyone says faith. faith. The people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, she was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Japheth, 
about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness, I love this, was turned to strength. And who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Yay for victories! Woo! Listen, we all like stories of those who rise and conquer, right? Especially in the face like these, like of overwhelming odds. Here's the Egyptians chasing the Israelites. They're trapped up against the Red Sea. And then what ends up happening? That God opens up the Red Sea for them to pass through. Did they see into the invisible that day? They sure did. And in each one of these stories, man, if we had time, we could talk about how they saw into the invisible. All of these people who we say, man, these are like heroes of the faith. Listen, they were all normal folk. They were people like you and me. But they had faith. Faith that enabled them to see who God is and what he was up to in their stories. These are people that saw into the invisible. And I want to just kind of like double click really, really quickly, just for a few moments, on one of those little stories that helps to illustrate how important it is to see into the invisible. And it's, it's found in verse 30 that we just read of Hebrews chapter 11. It's about where the walls of Jericho, it said, fell after, you know, the Israelite army was obedient to God, march around this for seven days. It was this crazy story of faith as the people trusted and obeyed God, even though there was no evidence why they should be doing what God said to do. But by faith, they did it. But I want to show you what happened immediately before the Israelite army did that and the walls came down. And it's found all the way back in the book of Joshua. Joshua was their leader at this time. And then, and right before this, you get to Joshua chapter five, right before this whole episode, in fact, it's where, where God tells Joshua this incredible plan of marching around the city and that God's gonna make the walls collapse, not the army. And it says that right at the end of Hebrews, or Joshua chapter five, it says that Joshua went to the city and it's at the walls of this fortified city that he has this encounter with God. Just he alone has this encounter with God and is where God gives him these instructions. But when you, when you get to the very first verses of Joshua chapter six, I want you to hear what God tells Joshua. Joshua 6, 1 and 2, says this. So now, it says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. In other words, they locked it up because they knew that there was this like army out there that God was doing these miraculous things. They, had, they wanted no part of that, right? And if your kids watch Veggie Tales, you know that there was French peas on the top of that wall. Okay, they were calling down insults. And if you don't know anything about that, well, look up Veggie Tales. 
Um, anyway, they're, they're, here's God with Joshua and they're standing right next to these fortified walls and it says that the gates were, were firmly secured. No way in. No way for the Israelites to actually even really do battle against these people of Jericho. But listen what God says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, he says to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. I mean, mind blown here if we're paying attention to what the Bible tells us. I love the fact that God is speaking in the past tense here. Is that kind of hilarious? I mean, Joshua is like, okay, here's the first city. We've got to like, you know, we're entering the promised land where God told us to go, but there's an enemy that wants to kill us here. And there's like no way to like dispossess these people and say, no, this is the land that God gave us. Because they're behind a fortified wall. They're in this gated, secure city. There is no way for us to do this. And God says, I want you to see things differently, Joshua. I want you to see that this battle has already been won. I have already done this. See, see into the invisible. See with eyes of faith, Joshua. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Don't look at the fortified walls and locked gates with faith. Look into the invisible about what I have called you to do because I am fighting your battles for you. And God's also teaching Joshua something here that I think that we need to hear. The victory wasn't really Joshua's. The victory belonged to who? The victory was God's. You know, a lot of times I think in our lives when something amazing happens and we like have this breakthrough, it's kind of like, we are the champions. We are the champions. You know, no. This reminds us God is the champion. He had already done the work before the army even stepped one foot towards that city. I have delivered them to you. This is God's work. Listen, which reframes our victories because in our futures, we will have some victories. When we have victories, whose victory really is it? As James reminds us, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It is God's work in our lives when we have victories and when we celebrate, which we should. Man, what we do is we don't celebrate ourselves, you know, patting ourselves on the back. We were so good. No, we turn that back to the Lord and saying, God, you are so good. You are the victor. You are the champion. But we know, and we're reminded here at the end of Hebrews 11, that 
Life is not all just about victories. And so we go from these stories of amazing, amazing victory to stories of all-out trouble and suffering. So we pick back up again in verse 35. And it says, there were others. If you've got your Bible, just circle that word because like, uh-oh, something's changing. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Like, how do you get a better resurrection? He's talking about what was in the first half of verse 35, that people actually came to life back on earth. That's a cool resurrection, but he's saying, no, it's even better resurrection to be resurrected into heaven. That's what he's saying. They gain a better resurrection after they were tortured and killed. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. That one always gets me. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Listen, this is really hard. And we know that not only was this happening in the time of the writing of Hebrews, this is happening today in different parts of our world. The gruesomeness and the torture and the imprisonment, the jeering, the just the, you know, I mean, this, this is happening today, not just against religious groups, which it is. We know that that's happening against other religious groups as well. But this is happening against brothers and sisters of the faith in Jesus Christ today. And I love that right in the middle of this description of suffering, there's these amazing words. The world was not worthy of them. These people who suffered, the world wasn't worthy of them. These people were faithful people in the middle of a faithless world. These people were people of honor in a world that was dishonoring to them. But again, I wanna, I wanna double click again just on one little story that's kind of represented. His name isn't in here, but when it talked about death by stoning, there's, there's a story in the New Testament about one of the early leaders of the church. His name was Stephen. And he died by stoning. I, I'm sure that the author of Hebrews was thinking about Stephen when he penned those words. Stephen was doing this amazing work. When you read through the book of Acts and you get to like Acts chapter six, it, it starts talking about Stephen. And I mean, he was working miracles. He was just one of these young leaders who was, had been kind of promoted into a place of real leadership in the church. But it says that there was Jews who got jealous of him. They were jealous of like his notoriety that he was gaining. And, and so it says that there was some that actually told lies about him to the religious leaders. Said that he'd been blaspheming God. 
which in no way was the truth. And so he's like brought in before the religious leaders. And all of chapter 7 is Stephen's defense. They say, is this true? And he says, well, let me tell you something. And he goes into this amazing story of the history, the history of the people of God. He goes all the way back to the beginning of the story and just begins to rehearse God's faithfulness even when people weren't faithful. But then when he gets to the end of the chapter, he looks at these religious leaders and says, you're the same as all of the people who came before when he says, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And then we pick up his story. And it's in Acts 7, 54 through 58. When it says, when they heard these things, who heard them? The religious leaders. They'd just been called out by this young upstart kid. What does he know, right? So when they heard these things, they were overtaken with violent rage, filling their souls. And they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw. He fixed his gaze in the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God And he saw Jesus, who stood up at the right hand of God. Look, he says, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears. Listen, there's people that can see and there are people that don't want to see. There's people that can see the invisible and there's people that are like, no. Ain't for me, not for me. What blinds people to the invisible? Oh, that would be another, that'd be another story. But we see in scripture, we see in the New Testament more than one place that the enemy of our souls is the one who blinds the world from being able to even see the things of God. Sometimes we can get really mad at our neighbors because they don't see, but we need to recognize, listen, I want you I know we got the disco ball up there today. Sorry about that. We'll get that fixed later. But listen to this. Sometimes we can get really mad at people because they don't see. They don't have eyes of faith yet, and we need to remember that our friends at school that don't see there are coworkers that, that they don't, how do they not see this? I mean, their lives are falling apart. Can't, why don't they just open their eyes and see our neighbors? How about family members who don't see? We need to remember that it is the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, who God's word tells us blinds people's eyes to being able to see the invisible. We need to pray for all of our family and friends and co-workers and people that we go to school with and people we're sitting next to in class and sitting around the table with at dinner and say, God, would you open eyes? Help them to see. But these people didn't see. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. Then they 
pounced on him and threw him outside the walls to stone him. And that's what they did. He was martyred. But Stephen, it says, fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and he saw. He saw the invisible. He's being stoned to death. You can read in the next verses, he actually forgives his accusers. The world was not worthy of him. So, stories of victory, stories of suffering. And then we come to the very last verses, and they're interesting. They're, I mean, they're, and I think so insightful, because I think what we're going to see right here at the very end is even why sometimes people of faith go through suffering. It says this in Hebrews 11, 39, and 40. These were all commended for their faith, right? People of victory, but also those who their stories included suffering. It's here specifically, he's talking about those who have just suffered, suffer, have suffered at the hands of others. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Well, head scratcher right there. Unless you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about that. None of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for who? For, for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is crazy. You see, see, God is not limited to what he can see in front of him. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He sees all of our stories. And that somehow the stories of those who went through suffering were tied together with the stories of those who would come after. And that somehow those people, those who have gone through suffering, that their stories aren't going to be complete. They're not going to be, he says, like made perfect, like come to fullness until they're woven together with the stories of those who are going to come after. Crazy. And so in these verses, I think we see at least three significant truths just in these last two verses here. The first one is that suffering is no indication that there is a lack of faith in someone's life. Man, you better get that deep into your soul because I, can, can you just put all of your eyes right here on me, right here just for a second. Every single one of us needs to develop a theology of suffering. In other words, how do we view God layered over the fact that there is suffering that happens in our lives and in the lives of others in the world? Man, so, so often people are just like tipped over once it comes to the fact that like, oh, dang it. How could there be a good God and there be suffering in my story? or in my family's story, or in some other part of the world's story. How could there be a loving and good God? We all need to develop a, a theology of suffering. 
But when we come to the end of Hebrews 11, what we see is not only, not only is there no link between suffering and someone's faith, but what the word tells us here is that they were commended for their faith. What is that word? That means like when you receive a commendation, right? When you were in first grade and you were like student of the month and you were commended. That teacher gave you like a little certificate with a little gold star on it. You were commended for being student of the month. A commendation. We got some military folks here. They could probably tell us a lot about commendations. You know what the commendation is of someone who ends their life in a season of suffering? It is Jesus welcoming them into eternity with these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. As we talked about last week, listen, life is short, heaven is long. Even the suffering, even the worst suffering that we could experience here on this earth is but a fraction of a millisecond compared to eternity. But yet we wrestle. Man, if I had only had more faith, I wouldn't have gotten sick. If I would only have had more faith, that person that I love wouldn't have died. If they would have only had faith, they wouldn't have gone through that. No, that is not what God's word teaches us. And if you have heard that, that you just, you just didn't have enough faith for your loved one to you know, be raised up out of that cancer bed or whatever it is. I'm, listen, with grace and with mercy, and I don't want to throw shade on any other preachers or speakers or whatever, but that is not what God's word teaches us. Jesus said, no, in this world, you will have trouble. Hey, but be at peace. I've overcome the world. In other words, there's a story beyond our story. And there's a story beyond the suffering. And suffering is no indication that we have a lack of faith. Faith is seen both in victory and in suffering. And we can never use either victories or suffering as like the litmus test that says, well, that person had God's favor or that person was a person of faith. Those things are not linked because in our future, we will have both. There's gonna be some victories in your life and there's gonna be some suffering in your life and in mine. So we need to understand that we can see the invisible in both. Victories are God securing battles for us and suffering is doing something else in our stories and in the stories of those who will come after. The second thing though, before I get to that last point, the second thing we see here is this interesting thing where it says that none of them received what had been promised. And now this repeats something that we had heard Pastor Kalen preach about back in Hebrews eleven thirteen. He's like repeating, uh, uh, you know, something there. But I don't. You you may not have been in here. You don't. You don't all come to church every Sunday, right? 
So you may not have heard when that was talked about, but you can go back and listen to what Caelan preached, a great message in there. Because it says that the people saw what God was promising and welcomed those from a distance, even though the fulfillment of what God had promised would not all be fulfilled within their lifetimes. And I love the question that Caelan asked. She asked this brilliant question. Does our trust in the Lord exceed the number of years that we will be on this planet? See, that's seeing the invisible. Because if we think that God is somehow limited to fulfilling every one of his great promises to us only on these years that we're on the planet, then we're seeing something incorrectly. Because God is the God of all eternity. He's got all eternity to fulfill what he's promised to us. But man, we got to see the invisible. To grasp that through faith. And all of these people who did not uh, see the fulfillment of everything that God had promised to them on this, on this planet, it didn't diminish their faith. They continued believing right up through their final breath. There's a third thing that I think is just amazing and beautiful here we see in these last couple verses. There's this amazing idea dropped in here that explains suffering in a way that I think we rarely think about. And it's in verse 40. I think we have it on the screen here where it says that God had planned something better for us Obviously, he was writing to an audience saying us, but we are collectively wrapped in, in, in this us. We are, we are the, the culmination of what they couldn't even imagine except through eyes of faith. The thousands of years after these words were penned that we would be sitting here today, some of this us is like us, you and me. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Their stories were not only their stories. Somehow, in faith, we see that their stories are wrapped up in the stories of others, including ours. Could it be that one person's suffering is challenging and takes maturity to think about. Is it possible that one person's suffering might actually unlock the possibility of what God would do in someone else and in their story? Is it possible that one person's suffering might somehow open up the doors of what God would do in the stories of others? You know, we talked about Stephen a moment ago, the guy that was, you know, martyred and stoned for his, for his faith because people didn't like what he was saying. I want to show you what happened immediately after he was martyred, like immediately after he was martyred. That happens right at the very end of Acts chapter 7. And when you get to Acts chapter 8, the very next verse, it says this, but let's put it up. It says, on that day, this is the day that Stephen was martyred. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. And then listen to what it says in verse 4. 
those who had been scattered preached. There was this scattering of all of God's people. Only the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else, thousands of believers knew, we we can't stay. There's this uprising against the people of God. We have to run in order just to stay alive. And it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Here's Here's something super interesting in the book of Acts. It's in Acts 1.8 that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses all over the world. That was Acts 1.8. But you know what they did for year after year after year after year? They stayed right there in Jerusalem. They were like, we're like fat and happy. We just love each other. We're like doing fellowship. And we're like, people were coming to Jesus and stuff. I mean, it was really, it was amazing. They had this like this golden, uh, you know, opportunity to see the church begun. But they weren't going to all the world. Then Stephen comes along. And the tides turn. And we go from Acts 1.8, when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses all over the world. We get all the way to Acts Eight one. Just switch the numbers. And in all those years, they'd never gone to the world. They were just satisfied staying there in Jerusalem. But something takes place through the suffering of Stephen that unlocked something in the world that we here today are part of the recipients of the blessing. Something about the suffering of one unlocked something of God's goodness to the entire world because everywhere they went, they preached the good news about Jesus. They brought the gospel with them as they went out. Listen, what if what you do as parents that sometimes could be considered suffering, at least sacrificing, right, for your kids? What if that actually is part of God's plan to unlock something in their story about the possibilities of what God would do for them? What if it ain't just about you? Oh, what about us as a church? Might we collectively suffer a bit, at least sacrifice a bit, What if that is because it's not just about us, it's about kids that right now are over in our Safari Kids ministry? What if this story isn't just about me? Well, I'm the pastor here. Man, I want to see great things happen. I want to have those stories of victory. Maybe this isn't about me. Maybe about some of... Maybe it's about some of your children who right now are over in Safari Kids. Or right here, baby on the front row. (laughs) Little Judah. Listen, maybe it's not about me at all. Maybe Judah's gonna pastor this church someday and maybe Santa Maria Valley is gonna get rocked by the power of God through this young man. Maybe something about my sacrifice, maybe even my suffering, is to simply unlock God's story for someone else. I wonder if you would even think about who paid a price 
that you would be able to be here today? Did someone sacrifice, did someone suffer for you to be here today? Do we have the faith to trust God for our future, not only in the victories, but in the suffering? See, if we do, I believe that we are truly beginning to see beyond the natural, you know, our little joys, our little victories, and we're actually beginning to see into the invisible. See that God is doing something both in our victories and potentially in our suffering, our sacrifices, that is unlocking the story of God's victory in the lives of others. But man, does it take faith to get there. So I think you've figured out by now why I titled this message, Seeing the Invisible, the Way of the Future, because all of our stories are gonna include both victories and suffering. Let's open our eyes and see what God is doing in the middle of either, in the middle of both. In our victories, we see that it's God who's doing the battling for us, that he is the champion. And in our suffering, we see that God's not only doing a deep work in our own lives, in our own stories, but might he be using that to unlock what he wants to do in bringing victories to people we haven't even yet met. Let's pray. A moment ago I asked, man, do you know, can you think of someone in your own story who has suffered, who has sacrificed in order to unlock something of God's potential in your story? Maybe you did, maybe, maybe a name came flashing into your mind. People that maybe prayed for you for years before you came to Jesus. Maybe someone who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself. Maybe someone who didn't give up on you. When all observable facts would have said, yeah, <laughs> give up now, run. And they didn't. They saw something in the invisible and they stuck with it, praying for you, loving you, caring for you. But you know what? Some may not be able to like come up with a name of someone in your history. But I'll give you one. His name is Jesus. See, Jesus saw the invisible. He went to the cross. He suffered in order to, man, talk about unlocking provision, God's love, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy upon the entire world. He did that for you. Can you see it? Can you open your eyes and see the invisible? No, you cannot go back to Golgotha and you cannot go back to the cross today. But you know what? Through faith you can. And you can open your spiritual eyes through faith and see that Jesus was doing this for you, for me for us, for your family, for our city, for our friends, for our enemies. 
Can you see it? Man, if you can see it and you never have seen it before, man, I pray that you today would put your trust in Jesus and accept his great promises for you. That you would say, yes, I see it. These are for me. Not just for my parents, not just for others. These are for me. Open your eyes of faith and see. I need to have our ministry team come right now. Just, just come up here really quick. Because I want to invite you, if you have never seen that Jesus' story is linked to your story, I want you to get up out of your seats and come right now. Just come right, right down to one of these people because they're going to pray with you. They're going to pray with you about securing God's promises for your life today. And if that's you, don't wait. Don't wait to someday when you're suffering. Respond to God and his call. And if you've been one of those that have been blinded to the things of God for whatever reason, guess what? We don't throw shade on people who are blinded. We pray for eyes to be open. Man, if God is opening up your eyes today, bless the Lord. And if that's you online that wants to say, man, I am seeing God in his story connected to mine for the first time. Man, we would love to partner with you. If you're online right now, if you're on Facebook, man, just drop us a note. If you're on YouTube, you can just like leave us a note right there. We'll get back to you. But you can go over to our website, sm4.org, sm4.org. You're going to find our contact page there. Would you just tell us your story and let us know, like this is what's going on because we want to pray with you and support you on your journey of faith. No matter right now if you're facing more suffering than victories or victories than suffering, we would love to partner with you in the days ahead. Church, you are loved. Thank you for making sacrifices today so that others will be free tomorrow. Thank you for helping to secure the victories of others through your lives. Church, be blessed. Don't leave without receiving ministry today. In Jesus' name, amen.